You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe who helps people who feel far from God to know Jesus, cultivate freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We're also a diverse tribe who welcomes everyone from bikers to bankers, PhDs to GEDs, every age, race, and walk of life. So whether you're a longtime Christ follower or a spiritual investigator, we hope you're encouraged through our content. Enjoy today's teaching. And so, Lord, as we come before you today to worship you, we say we're taking our eyes off of all the stuff that brings anxious thoughts, and we're putting our eyes, our focus, our gaze, and our attention on you. Thank you that you're so good to us, that you're rooting out all those sources of anxiety that our own minds, the world, the flesh, and the devil put on us. And we receive the peace today that you bring by the Holy Spirit. And so we pray all these things to you, our good Jesus, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, everyone said, amen, amen. Well, you guys go ahead and take a load off. And as I was thinking about this topic today, you know, I realized it dawned on me that one of my roles as a pastor is to kind of translate biblical truths to regular people. A lot of you come here with no church background at all, and others have been in church, and my role is to kind of translate these biblical concepts in a way that everybody can get, you know? And so there's this concept in the Bible called the flesh, or some people call it the old nature, and I like to communicate this concept with something I call the head, you know? And so the thing about the head is that, uh, you know, a lot of Christians will blame their problems and wrong thinking on the devil. You know, this is the devil's fault, right? But in my life, a lot of times, the negative thinking in me comes from a source that looks a whole lot like me. Do you have one of these? It's like, you're stupid. Nobody likes you. You know, the head loves to focus on the negative about other people. It gives me these cut downs that are very clever to embarrass someone else in front of others, doesn't it? Sometimes the head will remind me of ways that people have embarrassed me, like the time where these kids, it says, remember when those kids said, Doug, your eyebrows look like those fuzzy caterpillars, you know? (laughs) The head has always seen people, particularly when I was younger, the head always saw people as objects. And so we would be at the beach and the woman in the bikini walks by and I just want to keep my gaze straight ahead, but the head's like, Dude, take a look. See, the head always wants to get revenge, always reminds you of the negative. A lot of us have one of these. Let me show you how Paul talked about the head in Romans chapter 7, verse 21. It says, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging what? War against the law of my mind. And one of the things that I think we need to be aware of today is that we're going to have to wage war against some things that are taking away our peace. The the statistics tell us right now that in America, the head is doing a number on people related to anxiety. There's this expert on next generations. Her name is Kara Powell. And she says that younger generations are characterized by three things. One is that they're adaptive. And that's great. Those of you that are younger, it's cool that you're adaptive. You can adapt to the changes that are going on in the world. You're also a diverse generation, those of you that are younger. 
And that's really good, you know, to be racially and ethically diverse. That's a picture of God's kingdom from the Bible. But the third characteristic, it's not so good. In younger generations, you're known for being anxious. In fact, according to the CDC data during the pandemic, anxiety, anxiety tripled and depression quadrupled for young people. But those of us from the middle and older generations, we know that anxiety is not limited to younger generations. In fact, right now, America is the most anxious city or most anxious nation in the world. And that's according to the National Institute of Mental Health. So we're number one. We got that going for us, right? We're number one at something, most anxious nation in the whole world. So here's how the head will get me with anxiety. I don't really like tight spaces, you know. And one time I was supposed to do some work underneath my house. And Jeannie and I live in this, our kids, we, we live in this house that's an old house. It's over 100 years old, the Pier and Beam Foundation. There's a crawl space. And so I had to get underneath the crawl space. And the head's telling me, you know, this house has been here for over 100 years. And today's the day that it collapses on top of you. <laughs> so I'm like underneath the house. I called Jeannie on my cell phone. Hi, honey. She's like, how you doing down there? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I kind of froze underneath there. She goes, Doug, why don't you come out from under there? I said, okay. And that didn't really help me when I had some health problems this last year, and I had to have an MRI on my head. Some of you know about MRIs, right? When you have it on your head, they're going to put you inside this tube. And before they put you in the tube, there's a mask that goes over your face so that if you freak out, you bring your head up, you, you won't hit their equipment, right? That you won't hit the tube that you're in, but it just hit the mask. And then it's going to make this god-awful noise when you're in there. It's going to sound like the security system in a starship or something, right? So I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm feeling a little anxious about getting into the MRI thing on my head. And then the guy right before me panicked. And he's like, I could hear him in there yelling, get me out of here, you know? And, you know, the, the mask that they put over you, it looks like a mask from a horror movie like Jason on Friday the 13th or something. And so the head's doing a number on me. All this combined, the head's like, you know, you're going to freak out when you get in there. And the, this thing's going to turn you into like Freddy Krueger. It's going to turn you into Jason from Friday the 13th. You're going to come out crazy, Pastor, right? Whatever. So I'm kind of anxious about it. And I want to tell you that there's no shame if you can't do an MRI, you know, the text told me that a lot of people have to be sedated and you know that it's, it's a hard thing. And I'll tell you the rest of my MRI story here in just a minute, but let me stop here for a minute, take a time out and let you know that if you have, if you struggle with MRIs, there's no shame in that. If you struggle with anxiety, perhaps you've had a medical diagnosis of some type of anxiety in your life. We're not here to shame you today. We're here to say, Hey, look, we all struggle with different stuff. And we're here to lock arms with each other and help each other get through. Is anybody on board with that type of mentality as it relates to anxiety, right? So I do want to ask you, what is the MRI machine in your life? You know, what is the MRI that the head uses to speak anxiety into you? Perhaps for you, it's when you're alone and the head goes to work on you. You're all alone and the anxiety starts. Maybe it's when you're around that particular person. You know, there are certain people, there's like political guy that makes you nervous or anxious. Maybe, uh, you know, you struggle with finances and, and that stresses you out. Perhaps the head comes to your, your MRI machine is related to your career and you just get, man, I want to be successful or whatever. It's in your grades or 
your school or it's like, how am I going to be successful? Maybe it's when you're away from your kids. I've known people that when they get away from their kids, it makes them anxious. Maybe it's when you get around your kids, it makes you anxious. There are all kinds of things that make us anxious. And you know, let me say this, that um, throughout this series, we're going to discuss practicing peace over anxiety and anxiety's twin brother, fear. That's going to be next week. We're going to talk about peace over loneliness, peace over people-pleasing. These are the things we're going to deal with over the next several weeks. And if you're doing great right now with anxiety, whatever, you're saying, hey, I'm doing pretty good. This doesn't apply to me. Well, let me suggest this. The time to do maintenance on your car is when it's still running, not when it's on the side of the road with smoke pouring out. And your soul's like that. The time to do maintenance, we all have to do regular oil changes in our soul to keep us in a place of peace. So if you're doing well, you need this. If you're doing well, you need to be equipped in order to serve other people who are struggling right now. And as we were planning this service, our team, our staff team here at the church got together and we prayed first and we said, God, there's so many things that we could talk about as it relates to emotional health this year. I mean, a million and one things we could talk about, a million and one principles, but God, would you just show us the thing you want us to communicate to the people during this series? And we prayed and then we came out of our prayer, and it wasn't just my thoughts, but it was our team, you know, like Pastor Joe and Lee and Sadie and Margo and just, you know, Gideon and others pitched in, and we came up with five practices to keep us in a place of peace. And the things that we came up with are not some naive positive thinking. They're not some trendy gimmicks, but these are practices that are rooted in the scriptures and verified by the best medical science. And so here the five things that we came up with. Number one, meditation. And by the way, you have all five of these things on the handout that you received when you came in. Number one is meditation. Number two is breathing. Number three is walk. Number four is manage your mental input. Number five is connect in tribal community. Now, as soon as we came up with the five, we wrote them down on a piece of paper, and I immediately left the meeting with our staff team where we came up with this stuff and I went to my office and I got on my computer and I looked up what the Mayo Clinic says about alleviating mental health concerns like anxiety. And let me compare their list to our list. Look at number one, Mayo Clinic said, use guided meditation. Hmm, seen that one before, right? Practice deep breathing. Yep, that's a good one. Number three, physical exercise and good nutrition. Certainly that's related to walking. Then number four is manage social media time. What that's about is being careful what you take in. And then, of course, number five is connect with others. Now, today, we're going to have time to cover four of these things. We'll cover the fifth one in other services coming up. You know, the thing about connecting to people in tribal community. We'll talk about that in future services. But today, we'll cover four. Look at number one. Number one is meditation. Now, if you're thinking about meditation as it relates to anxiety, there's the classic text of Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Let's look at it together on screen or on your phone app Bible or your physical Bible. Do not, Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, remember that, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, 
And if there is anything praiseworthy, what's that next word? Meditate on these things. Now, as you read through Philippians, a lot of you know that Paul, the apostle, was the one that God used to write these things down. And a lot of people think of Paul as like this super Christian, right? Like Paul's a super Christian. He wrote, you know, he didn't have any anxiety in his life. But when I read through Philippians, I saw otherwise. I saw a guy that was dealing with significant issues of anxiety, and it made Paul so much more relatable to me. I found four things that Paul was feeling anxiety about in the text. And so as I rattle off these ways or these things that Paul felt regarding anxiety, I want you to raise your hand if you've dealt with any of these once we go through them. So the first thing that Paul was dealing with is that he had lost some people that he loved, and then he had this friend named Epaphroditus who had been sick and almost died. So let me ask you, how many of you over the past couple of years have had a friend or a loved one or anyone you know that had health concerns and you were worried that they might pass away? Anybody besides me? Yeah, lots of us all over the room. Here's another one. Paul was faced with his own death, and he was thinking about his potential impending death, and he concluded, hey, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So let me ask you this. Over the past two years, have any of you been sick or perhaps thought about your own death, your own mortality crossed your mind? Anybody besides me? Yeah, like I told you earlier about my MRI, I had some health concerns in the hospital and all this kind of stuff, and I was so convinced that I was going to die. I made a phone video of a video that I wanted to be played at my own funeral. I wanted to encourage my family. I wanted to encourage you, the church, and share the gospel one last time on my way out, you know? I had thought about it. And then here's the third thing that Paul dealt with. He had these two church volunteers, key leaders, a couple of ladies named Udaya and Sintiki, and they were divided. They were butting heads with each other. You mean to tell me, Pastor Doug, that sometimes church volunteers and church leaders don't get along or don't agree with each other? Yeah. And this Paul was dealing with this, and it stressed him out and brought anxiety in him. Let me ask you, how many of you over the past couple of years have had friends, family, loved ones, anyone, whether church or outside the church, people weren't getting along, and it affected you? Maybe it's family members that divided over masks or vaccines or politics. Anybody besides me? Okay, yeah. It brings, when, when people around you have tension, it can, if you let it, bring a low-level anxiety into your life. And here's the last one. Paul had anxiety about money. I'm not going to have you raise your hands on this one, but has anybody been worried about a few bills, worried about how you're going to pay for living with a rising inflation? And Paul, you can read it in Philippians near the end of the book. You could see his relief when he was worried about how he was going to be able to survive financially. The Philippians sent him financial support, and you can see his relief. And he says, hey, you guys, thank you for being so generous with me. Thank you for sending me money. My God's going to supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. That's what he says, see. So Paul meditated his way through his anxieties and part of his medication, uh, uh, not medication, but meditation, <laughs> included his prayer of petition with thanks. There are two things that are a part of it. These things, two things go together. There's the petition with thanks. Now, the petition part is like a petition that you would sign. Have you ever signed a petition? You know, you're signing a petition against a politician or some social issue, maybe the environment. You sign a petition about this kind of thing. You ever known someone that said, I want you to petition me? 
No, I don't, want, I, I don't want people to petition me. I like me. You know, don't petition me. Don't be mean to me. But God is so secure in who he is. He says, you can bring it. You petition me all day long if you want. You can be real and raw and honest and authentic with me about how you feel and stuff that's bringing anxiety in your life. But with it, with your getting real, bring some thanks as well. Bring some thanksgiving here. Now, one of the things that I learned from an anxiety coach, by the way, anxiety coach, that's like a real job these days. He's this guy, his name is Steve Cuss, and he's an anxiety coach. And he says, we all have to come up with our, what he calls life-giving list. A life-giving list is the list of stuff you're thankful for. And when you came in today, you got a little handout. Could you pull those handouts out? And you can see on one side where you can write in the blanks your life-giving list. Let me explain what I mean by that. It's something that you can do that's life-giving to you, that fills you with energy or calms you down. So let me tell you some of the things that are on my life-giving list. My wife, Jeannie, and I, we like to go eat out, and we walk to restaurants in our neighborhood, and we eat out. So we like, enjoy. I like my wife. I like spending time with my wife. We walk over to the restaurants. We walk along the river walk. We like walking together. And that another thing that we both like that's on both of our life-giving lists is we like our pets, okay? I'm going to confess it and just own it. I'm a cat guy. I like my cats. I don't know why I like my cats. I mean, I pet my cats. They're furry. They're nice. You know, they're not perfect, but I pet them, and it just makes me feel good. I don't know why I like it. It's life-giving for me. I've got aquariums in my house, and I like looking at my aquariums. It just relaxes me to look at my my pets, like one of my cats. You can see she likes my aquarium. Uh, she likes to get in there, and I'd swear sometimes the fish are trying to swim into her mouth. I mean, I don't know, I don't know what happens there, but she just likes that. I like watching her drink that aquarium water or whatever. So I like aquariums. I like my indoor plants. You know, I like a good cup of coffee, like good coffee. Okay, I don't like Starbucks coffee. You may like Starbucks coffee. That's okay for you. But I like like really third wave good, like Brown Coffee Company, good coffee beans, and I like them prepared over a B60 pour over. That's life-giving for me. This morning when I got up, I'm like, hey, I'm gonna check one off my list today. I'm gonna drink me a good pour over coffee. I prepared it before I came to the church this morning. And here's the best thing that some of you can do to alleviate or keep you in a place of peace, alleviating anxiety is write down your life-giving list and give yourself permission. Some of you are punishing yourselves in ways that God is not trying to punish you, you know? Certainly, there, we, we have to work. I get it. Certainly, there are times where, where we have to struggle and grind, you know? But at the same time, give yourself permission to do something on your life-giving list at least once a day or pretty regularly to keep you in a place of peace. So can I just take, can you, can you just raise your right hand right now and repeat after me? I have permission to do something life-giving. Would anybody receive that today? Yes, good. Okay, put your hands down. That's good. Now, a part of the, you know, what brings us to a place of peace is breathing. That's number two breathing. Deep breathing is a way to calm your sympathetic nervous system, which controls your body's threat response. Some people are living in a place of threat all the time. Breathing also helps your parasympathetic nervous system, which helps reduce anxiety. And one of the things that I found in my studies is that breathing is actually connected to the Old Testament name of God. The name of God in the Old Testament is something theologically speaking called the Tetragrammaton. And the Tetragrammaton is 
in English, it would be translated Yahweh. Now in the Hebrew, there are no vowels. There are only consonants. And you can see on screen the Tetragrammaton or Yahweh written out. You read Hebrew from right to left, by the way, not left or right, like we read our English. And it would be pronounced Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh. Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh. And what the rabbis tell us is that this word was not meant to be spoken. That's why you know a lot of Jewish people that they won't even write the full name of God. They won't say God. But it's meant to be breathed in and breathed out. It's like a breath. So people wouldn't even say it. So you can see on screen the Tetragrammaton. Remember, you read from right to left. It would be like a breath. Breathe in. Exhale. Let's try it together. Ready? Here we go. One more time. Some of you started levitating. I swear, you know, <laughs> freaking me out. Just kidding. So what the rabbis would say is that breathing is actually speaking his name. There are people that don't even believe he exists, and with their every breath, they're speaking his name. This is the power of breathing. Now, let me go back to my MRI story for just a minute. They were putting me in the tube, and I was anxious, right? So what I did was, as soon as they, they put my head in the mask, I immediately closed my eyes because it didn't want my eyes to be on what would bring me anxiety. And I started, I just took a couple of deep breaths, and I started to meditate on some of the scriptural songs or worship songs that Gideon introduced us to here at the church. And I just continued to repeat those worship songs and was focused on my breathing and meditation during the MRI. And before I knew it, the, what was supposed to be a 45-minute procedure, before I knew it, it was over. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. They're getting me out of his thing, right? Thank the Lord for that. And, you know, recently, Pastor Lee gave us what I thought was a very practical talk about breathing. And like two days after Lee gave that talk on breathing, one of our staff members, Margo, had to go to the doctor because she has to have these injections in her eyes, like in her eyeballs. You can imagine how anxious you would be if a dude's about to jab a needle in your eyeball, you know? So she, she went in and the doctor had explained to her that, Margaret, you're going to have to have these injections like every few months for the rest of your life. So she lays down on the doctor's table and she's waiting on the doctor to come in and give her the injections. And she thought, well, you know, am I just going to sit around and stress about this or should I put this to use in like I learned at church, I breathe and meditate. So she chose to take that time to just sit down and focus on her breathing and meditate on the things of God. And it's like God immediately brought the thought to her mind, I've got you. And then a passage from Matthew came to Margot's mind, and it was Matthew 6.26. And she was hearing this over over again in her head. Look at the birds of the air. This is verse 26 of Matthew 6. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And in those moments, when that passage crossed her mind, 
she felt a deep sense of peace. And when the doctor got into the room to give her the injection, he looked into her eye with his equipment, right? And he said, Margo, you're not going to have to have the shot. You're not going to need the shot. And she thought, hey, you know, great. I don't have to get the shot today, but I'll have to get in a few months. He said, no, you're not going to have to get that shot in either of your eyes for the rest of your life. She was healed. Thank the Lord for that. Right on. So, look, when the head tells you you need to be anxious, you say, no, I'm just going to meditate. I'm just going to breathe, breathe in the name of God, the word of God. Now, something that helps us to breathe is when we walk. Walking is number three. And Pastor Joe initiated the creation of a walking group. We call our groups tribes around here because for Joe, he connects with God and he holds anxiety at bay when he walks and he talks to God. In a couple of weeks, Pastor Joe is going to explain this to us and what God does in his life when he walks. But one of the things that I had noticed about religious people is, have you known a lot of religious people that they always want to take a stand against something, right? And I understand, you know, there are times where we should take a stand for against racism, you know, against biblical convictions that we have. We should take a stand from time to time. But, you know, we could probably alleviate a lot of tension in relationships if we knew when to not take a stand and when to take a walk. Sometimes we just need to take a walk with someone, don't we? And so when the head wants to raise the tension, we say, hey, I may not take a stand on this. It may not be worth it today, and they may not change their minds anyway. Why don't we just take a walk together and see what God would do to bring down the tension? Now, I want to illustrate this by doing a little exercise. Would you guys do a little exercise with me? So it's going to require you to stand up. So go ahead and stand up now. And, uh, you know, you're not going to have to do like yoga or anything like that, but, it, but it's going to be pretty simple. So what I want you to do is I want you to take one step to your right. Okay, ready? Here we go. One step to your right. Okay, that's good. Now, I'm, we're going to put some verses on the screen. And I'm going to read these verses out loud. When we get to the word walk or walking or any version of the word walk, I want you to speak that word out loud when I get to it in the reading of these Bible verses. Ready? So Jesus said to one guy, he said, rise and good. And then in Matthew 14, Peter got out of the boat and on the water. Then Mark 10, Jesus was ahead of them. Now take one step to your left. And let's look at a few more verses. Second Corinthians five, for we by faith and not by sight. Then there's second Corinthians six. God said, I'll make my dwelling among them and among them and I'll be their God and they'll be my people. And then Galatians five, he says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now take one step to your right. There you go. Good. And we're going to look at Ephesians five and in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And there's first John one, seven, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And then there's second John one, six, and this is love that we, we walk according to the commandments. Look, God loves to walk with us. He walks ahead. We follow. He's taken a walk with us. I could have gone on and on all day long with verses from the Bible about 
walking. It's a metaphor for our relationship with God. So here's what I want you to do. Take one more step to your left, which should put you back in front of your seat. And I'm going to have you sit down. But before you sit down, turn to someone next to you and tell them Jesus is walking with you. Very good. And after you say it, that's the time to sit down. So good. You earned your seat today. Now let's look at the last principle for today, and that is manage mental input. The way I've said this before is thinking about your thinking is not overthinking, is it? You got to think about your thinking because your thinking is what shapes your feeling. Uh, Intentional thinking does really change your body. It changes your outlook. It's not in some magical way, like when your grandma put an egg under the bed or whatever, but the thinking actually changes your life in a real and biological way. We learn it from Dr. Deutsch, Norman Deutsch, who wrote the book, The Brain That Changes Itself. And the science that he talks about in this book is neuroplasticity. No doubt many of you have heard of neuroplasticity. You've heard us talking about it over the past 10 years or so. It's just basically the idea that our thoughts can change the structure and function of our brains. Repetitive, positive thought and peaceful activity like walking. Walking combined with meditation actually changes something inside of us. Dr. Deutsch says in the book, the brain has the capacity to rewire itself and or form new neural pathways if we do the work. Just like exercise, the work requires repetition and activity to reinforce new learning. So what you put in your head, the way you exercise and what you put in your head affects you biologically. This is why David said to God in the Old Testament, he said, God, you anoint my head. What? Head with oil. What is that saying? Two things. One, when the prophet came and he poured oil on David's head, it was like an endorsement from God that David is the leader of the nation. But his second thing is that David was a shepherd and shepherds would pour oil on their sheep's heads in order to protect them from these little pesty bugs. There are these pesky bugs that would get in sheep's heads and in their fur on their forehead and crawl into their ears. And it would drive the sheep so crazy that some sheep would bang their heads on rocks because they were being. And so anybody relate? It's like the head speaks these little anxious thoughts into your mind and it makes you want to bang your head on a rock. But here's what we do. We say, look, I'm not receiving those pesky little bugs into this head. I'm going to do a second Corinthians 10, five which it says we take captive every what thought and we bring it into obedience to Christ. And we say, Hey, look head, you're going to have to step off because I'm going to pull a Romans 12 2. do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what mind. See? So you just say, and we'll just do it together. It's like, I'm no longer listening to you. I'm going to put the black cloth over you You're gone for a while because I'm going to transform my mind and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, back in the fifth century, there were these prayer guides and they would teach people to do what we call spiritual warfare against enemies like anxiety. And they did it through something called the Jesus prayer. If you haven't heard of the Jesus prayer, it's basically this prayer that was taken from two different prayers that are uttered in the gospel of Luke, one story is when this tax collector said, God, be merciful to me, 
a sinner. And then the other prayer is a guy who was, was struggling. He cries out, Jesus, son of God, have mercy on me. So if you combine those two prayers and simplify them, you get the Jesus prayer, which is just Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. That's the Jesus prayer. And these prayer guides, they would train people to breathe it in and out. They're breathing in Christ and exhaling anxiety. See? So here's how you do the Jesus prayer if you want to do it. It's you say, Lord Jesus Christ, inhale. Have mercy on me. Exhale. Let's do it together. Ready? Here we go. Say it out loud. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Do it again. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Feels pretty good, doesn't it? It's like, man, you could say, Pastor Doug put me to sleep today. But that is spiritual warfare. Do you know that? Coming against anxiety. You have to fight for your peace, some of us. And that's why I want to speak a prayer over you. I want, I want to invite you to put your hands out in a position to receive this if you'd like to. And I'm going to have Emmy put the words of this prayer on the, on the screen so that you can see what I'm praying. And just receive these words over you. This is your spiritual warfare today. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we receive healing from anxiety. Healing from anxiety caused by traumatic events from childhood or healing from anxiety caused by betrayal. We cancel all the anxious thoughts from the head. We cancel all anxious thoughts from demonic powers. We take authority in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and command all the effects of anxiety to leave us now. We receive peace and healing down to the cellular level of our bodies. We close all the doorways or entries for anxiety and we shut them down in Jesus' name. Jesus heal any delayed maturity or emotional growth that's been stunted because of anxiety. Jesus heal and remap our brains from anxiety to truth. Jesus restore healthy sleep patterns. We receive peace, rest, undisturbed and rejuvenating REM and deep sleep. We receive all this in Jesus' name. And so I want to welcome you to stand up with us now. And I also want to welcome you to come and kneel at the front and pray. If you're worshiping at home, you can kneel in your living room or your bedroom or wherever you're watching. Because remember, you have to do battle in the spiritual realm for your peace against the enemy. And so come kneel, pray, and let's battle for our peace. Pray. 
fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I.
done their battle in prayer today. And as a result, you're like allowing us to feel a sense of peace that I believe is going to do for some a biological work of healing of other symptoms that they've been having recently. We receive that from you. I thank you that some have not yet started a relationship with God. And for some reason, they thought that you were up there in the sky somewhere ready to hit them with a hammer. They didn't know that you were there wanting to give them peace. And if that describes you while we're praying and in the presence of God who's surrounding us now, with, even with every breath, maybe you want to start a brand new relationship with God that you've never had before in your life. Just talk to him in your own heart. You don't even have to say it out loud. Just say, look, God, I know I've sinned and screwed some stuff up. But right now, the best I understand it, the best I comprehend, I choose to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And he rose again from the dead to give me a new life. Welcome into my life. Thank you for coming in. And there are lots of us, God, that have known you for a number of years. And we're choosing to intentionally step into peace. Because we know that's your heart's desire for us to experience. Through good times and bad, we will embrace your peace. Thank you for it. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said a to the men. Good times today, right? God's been pretty nice to us. So uh, why don't you be at peace and take a load off for a minute and sit down as we wrap up the service. You know, next week, if you're struggling with worry about anything, we're going to deal with that next Sunday. Bring a friend. And then also I want to let you know, if you just prayed to begin a relationship with Jesus just now or never had one before and you started a relationship with Jesus today or at any time and have not yet taken the first step of obedience to him, which is baptism, we're going to be having baptisms here next Sunday. So make sure and get signed up for that. I think there's probably a link on screen behind me and online as well where you can get registered for baptism next week. Then tribal orientation is happening in the cafe during the next service time. And you say, what is tribal orientation? Well, it's basically if you've been coming around here for a little bit and you're like, hey, I like this church. I want this church to become my church home. I want to kind of join up with the tribe, if you will. You go to the tribal orientation class and get through that. It's a brief class right next door led by Jake Kreifels. And I'll have some things to say in there as well. So we would welcome you to be a part of that during the next service time. And if you need prayer after the service, man, by all means, go out to the prayer tent and our prayer leaders love to pray with you. Now, one of the ways that we worship God is not just through singing songs and studying the Bible, but it's through our financial stewardship and our hearts here at City Tribe is that certainly we want to teach what the Bible says about money and stewardship and all that. You know, we want to put God first and, you know, bring 10% at the church to help people and you know, our hearts here at the church, and I know your heart is, is to be generous and to give. And as a church, we want to try and be generous today because we realize some of you could use a, another resource that would help you with your emotional health. And so I wrote a little book last year called I'm Not Defeated. And we want you to have a copy for free today if you would want one. So you can go out to the Tribe Connect tent and get your copy of I'm Not Defeated if you don't already have it. 
or the generous city triber that said, Doug, if pe people want this book and they can't afford to buy anything right now, or they just want a copy of it, I, he made a donation to buy some books so that you could have one for free today. So I know it's within your hearts to be generous to further God's kingdom. And since we don't pass buckets or plates for our offerings here at City Tribe Church, there are a few ways to get your offering done. You can see those on screen. It's basically, you know, just by mail, by text, in person, or online. So before you guys worship through your generosity, let's stand up together now, and let's do our benediction in the form of the Jesus prayer. How's that sound? So you guys know how that sounds, how that goes, right? Here we go. Let's say it together. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. One more time. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. So walk from this place in peace. See you guys next time. We're glad you were a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check the City Tribe YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, or our website, citytribe.church. May you go from this podcast knowing that you are loved.